be seated. For the last few weeks, we've been we've changed the order of the service so that, as you obviously noticed by now, we do the announcements after the first worship song, and that means that some of you coming in late won't know where the fifty-dollar bill's hidden. Say, did I miss something? No, we didn't say anything like that. And so, um, but we did that because. We always we sensed that we would get into a place of worship where there's a flow, and then there would be a break for the announcements, which are necessary, and then we would p- try to pick up again with the Spirit of God with the message. And so we're, we're, we're still experimenting a little bit, but this seems to be working pretty well. And so this is, this is what we're doing. Again, welcome those of you that are, are watching us online. I, I always encourage you, please don't, be a, please don't be a spectator, but be a, a participant. I hope it's not going to be one of those days. Praise the Lord. Before we get in the message, I, want, I need your help with something. Um, I, I've, uh, I've, met, I've got a new friend I've met. His name's David. And I met David on an on a intersection uh, uh, that I pass every day on my way home, standing there with a sign, homeless. And, and I passed by him for we- a number of weeks, I'm sure, and... and, and I'm ashamed to admit, but there are many times I didn't look at him, or I would hope I would be last in line, or the light would change, because it was awkward for me. And then I decided to face it. And so I just went out, and I'm not, I'm just, I'm sharing this with you for a reason. I decided what I'm going to do, I went out and I, I, I got a, a bunch of $5 bills, and I just started keeping them in the car. And so when I came up to him the next time, I welded the window down and I handed it to him, and I said, you know, God bless you, God loves you. And the next time I stopped by on the way home, I, this time I was led by the Spirit. I took the little, the book we have out there, which is a great, is a great um, tool. And I took some money and I put it in the book. And I said, here, I want you to read this. I came back the next week and he came up to me all excited. He said, I read the whole book last night and I gave it to the guy next to me. I said, well, where are you staying? He said, I live in a tent. I said, how do you stay warm? He said, I have a heater. So apparently this friend of his is either in his tent with him or the tent next to him. And, and, and it broke my heart. And, and so the next time I came by, I decided, and this is God's leading me every step of the way. And I said, what's your name? He said, my name's David. So I made a connection with him now. Now he's not a homeless person standing there. He's a person, he's David. And I know something more about him. And then the next day I come by and he says, I got a, I've got a job interview. So he wants a job. I've got a job interview. And it was right before Thanksgiving. And I said, all right, I'll pray for you. He said, thank you. I said, God has something better for you than this. And then the next time I drove by, it's like, I, it was the day of the interview and he was still there. And he said, now they postponed it until after Thanksgiving. I said, okay. So I came by that next day and I said, oh, the, the, the day before, and he, and he said, um, uh, he came up to me. So he said, I think I did something smart yesterday. I went out to Savers and bought a suit. And I said, I'm praying for you, David. And so the time came and I, I came up to him again and I said, did you, get the, did you get the job? He said, I'm waiting to hear. And the next day he said, no, I didn't get the job. And he's had several other interviews. And my heart just reaches out to him. This is a man that wants a job. I don't know what the situation is. But I told him yesterday, 
I said, I'm a pastor. I got his contact information. And I said, I want to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to announce tomorrow that a friend of mine needs a job. So if you know anybody that would have a job, I don't know his skills, his background, but any kind of opportunity, and maybe it's somebody that needs a second chance. Every one of us has a second chance at some point. But what's happened in the process is God's heart in me towards Him has opened me up. I've gotten more out of this exchange than He has gotten out of this. So I'm sharing this with you to encourage you, but also... I believe somewhere here, God has a job for him, something to help him get out of where he is, that tent, and to begin to step into the things that God has for him. So if you know of any opportunities, if you to get in touch with me through the office and let me know, and just if you think of it to pray for, for my friend David, because I texted him last night, and I, you know sometimes you think, well, why does he have a cell phone? I'm glad he does, because that way I can keep in touch with him and find out where he is. This is a man that's trying to, to better his life, and life has him pressed down. And there are many, many more out there like him. And sometimes it's overwhelming. I can't, but I see God put him in front of me. And I've begun to respond to him and just trust God each step of the way. So if you know of anything or you're aware of anything, just please uh, let me know through the office and and we, we want to be a blessing to this man that David's put on our hearts. Praise the Lord. Well, um, this is um, one of our favorite times of year. It's this time it's very common to have Christmas stories. You know, those of you that watch TV, and there's just Christmas stories all over the place. And, and they, they, they are, they're always happy, they're uplifting, and Hallmark is... I don't know how many Christmas stories Hallmark wants to have. But anyway, there's this full of Christmas stories, and they're all, they're all emphasizing the joy of family coming together, the, the, the joy of, of, you know, see a lot of things about Christmas miracles and how good things happen at Christmas time, and, 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 and even some of them are out, about presents. One of my family's uh, favorite stories is called A Christmas Story. It, it's about, it's about uh, little Ralphie and his quest for a Red Ryder BB gun. <laughs> and I just happened to see the end of it last night. And, um, but what I want to talk to you about over the next several weeks is not a Christmas story. It's the Christmas story. And it's a story that's often projected in, in, Christmas, in, in churches with Christmas pageants, with the story of Mary and, 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 jo- and Joseph and coming down to, to Bethlehem and baby Jesus being born and the angels speaking to the shepherds and the three magi coming to visit him uh, and all that story, which is the Christmas story. But there's another side to the story, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. And this is a side of this story from God's side, because the side we see in Matthew and in Luke is this, the human side, where you could see it with your eyes, you could experience it if you were there. The shepherds really saw Mary and Joseph. They really heard the angels speak. And the, the, the magi really came, and it was really those three gifts that they brought. But there's a side of this story that's in heaven. That's God's side of the story. And the only way we know anything about it is because the, 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 the apostle John wrote about it. 
And it's important to understand this side because it adds a depth of field to this whole story because it gives us a perspective on what God did when he sent Christ to the earth. And the next week we're going to look at another side of it. So let's begin to look at at this story um, through the eyes of John. We're going to start, first of all, look at who is it that's born in Bethlehem. Well, obviously, Pastor John, it's Jesus. It's not that simple. Don't start throwing things at me. Although he appeared as a baby that Christmas morning or night or whenever it was, that's not, he, that, that's not all that he is because he existed before he was born in Bethlehem. John tells us in John chapter 1 in the very beginning of his gospel, in the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of creation as we know it. So we tend to assume that this universe as we see and know it this life as we see and know it has always been. But the Bible tells us there was a time before it existed and there will be a time when it's over. So in the beginning refers to the beginning of time, the beginning of this realm of existence that the Bible refers to as the material or natural realm. But before it existed, in the beginning, keep it up there, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. So in the beginning, before this was created, there is God, the Creator, and then there's this thing called the, the Word. Now John uses this term word, is, the term John uses in the Greek language is logos, L-O-G-O-S. And that word has a deeper meaning than just word. It means the full, complete expression and communication of an idea, a concept, a doctrine, or something But when it's applied to a person, it refers to the complete expression of the character, nature, will, and personality of the person that it's an expression of. So in the beginning was this full expression, and the Word was was with God, and the Word was God. So this second being, this second part of God, was with God before this creation, and was also... God, verse 2, He, so now we know that this word is a being, is a person. He was in the beginning with God. Keep going. All things were made through Him. The Greek word there for through means through the agency of. So the the agency that carried out the creation was this Word. The will of what was to be created was God the Father. But the agent that created the world, through whom this world... And the the world... the, The word... world... is more than just what you can see. It's the systems of this world. It's the universe... And this was all created through Him, and without Him or apart from Him, nothing was made that was made. See how much i got to go here. Okay, verse 4. In Him was life. So life itself 
was in him, and he was, and this life was the light of men. So the life that's in you, the life that's in this world, the life that's in plants, the life that's in animals, this light, life, came from him. Next verse. And the light shines in the darkness. So John's using light as an image of life. If you've ever been with somebody when they, when they pass on, the light goes out. The light that was there before is just gone because that's what lights you up is the life in you. And the light shines in the darkness. But isn't this the good news? The darkness did not comprehend it. That word comprehend means overcome it. Darkness can never overcome light. In our house, in the rooms, we have light switches. We don't have darkness switches. So we go to bed at night, I don't have to turn off the darkness switch, or turn on the darkness switch, and turn off the light switch. Because the darkness is the absence of light, because light is infinitely more powerful than the darkness. So however dark things look today, however dark things may look in your life, the light that's in you, the light that's in Christ, is infinitely stronger than that darkness. And it will, it will, over, it will overcome. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Talking, this is talking again about this word. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to, to the fathers by the prophets. So in the Old Testament, God communicated to the fathers of the faith through prophets, through men. Next verse. Has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So now we know that this Word, this full expression of God, is His Son. Now, it's not a hard thing to imagine, because it's not uncommon. You know, when I, if I look at pictures of my father, and I now look at me, there's a resemblance. I would be asked some questions if there weren't a resemblance. Because why? I came from him. I came out of him and out of my mother. There's an expression that's often used, oh, he's just a chip off the old block. In other words, that child is an expression of his parents. Sometimes we don't like what they are expressing about us because they'll express the good and the bad. They represent us. Sometimes I'm sure you've, those of you who have children have found out your children or those of you who have ever been a child. Anybody here has never been a child? Okay. Um, then, then you find yourself saying things your parents used to say and, and often it's things I know, I, I'm never going to say those things and then they come out of my mouth especially when you have your own children so in these last days he has spoken to us by or through his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds next verse who being the brightness of his glory that word means outshining of His resplend, resplendent outshining of His glory. And look at this. And the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power. 
when he by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. Keep going. No, no, no. So look at this. This is where I want to go. So he's the brightness of his glory. He's the express image of his person. Other translations, and actually a better translation says, he's the exact representation of the Father's nature. That's why when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's upholding all things by the word of his power. So all of creation was created through him, the word, and it's still sustained by that word of his power. Scientists have discovered this, this world, that this universe is still expanding. It's expanding at the speed of light. In fact, they're suspicious now that it may be expanding faster than the speed of light. And they don't know why. We know why. In the beginning was the Word. God created. That's the Big Bang was God said, let there be. All right, so this is the Word. This is the Word that John's talking about here. Okay, so this is who came. He's not just little Jesus born in Bethlehem. Little Jesus born in Bethlehem is this Word. And next week we're going to see how this affects you and me. In all his little, his, 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 his humbleness and all his frailty as a little baby, what's in him is the creator of the universe. Okay, but why did he come? It's important to us to understand this. He came, we're going to talk about three reasons. He came to rescue us from the curse and grip of Satan that he had on us through sin. The, the Bible term for rescue is redeem. So as I pass this friend of mine, David, and as I talk with some of you, and you see situations around you, you see the effect of the curse that's in this earth destroying people's lives. We got a report this week that, that, that someone uh, on my daughter-in-law's side of the family has they found a tumor on his, on his liver, and it may be cancerous. And now they're trying to figure out what to do. That's not God. That's the curse of this earth. You see these ads on TV that break my heart. In fact, we had to do something where these children suffering with leukemia and suffering with childhood cancers. You, I get angry at that. That's the curse that's in this earth. Satan destroying lives before they can even get started. These are all works of Satan to kill, steal, and destroy. And God's heart and God's nature is to rescue us and to redeem us from Satan's power, the power of sin, to rescue us from the destructive effects of sin, which is sickness and disease and everything else that comes from that destructiveness that comes under. If you want to find out what's listed, go to Deuteronomy 28, starting around verse 16, because you'll find in there the curse of the law, and Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law, Galatians 3, 13. So he came to rescue us, to deliver us. First John chapter 3. He who sins is of the devil. We won't dwell there, but it's true. For the devil sinned from the beginning, but for this purpose, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. Is there destruction in your life? whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your body, whether it's in your family, 
Jesus came to destroy those works. Jesus came to destroy those works. I think you'd be more excited about this than this. All right, I am. I'm preaching to me this morning. You can sit there and sleep and listen, but... (laughs) Hebrews chapter 2. Maybe you're just not used to seeing me up here. Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, that's us, He Himself likewise shared in the same. This is why He came. This is why He had to come and become a human being. He likewise shared in the same that through death He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Next verse. And release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So He came. He came to release you and me from every form of bondage. And ultimately, it's the bondage of the fear of death. And He came to destroy Satan's power. So, well, He's got a lot of power yet. Well, a lot of that's because the church is allowing Him to. We'll go there a little later on. He came to become a member... Listen to this carefully. This is what's touched me so deeply. He became a member of our race that's born under a curse so that He could bear that curse for us. This world is under a curse. Human beings are living under a curse. And Jesus came to become one of us so that at the appointed time He could take that curse upon Himself, though He never deserved it, and bear that curse so that you and I could be set free from it. Psalm 103, uh, this, this is another thing to get into some of the time. David wrote about, about God that Moses said God revealed His ways to Moses and His acts or deeds to Israel. There's a difference. Moses knew God's ways, so did David. One of God's ways is He frees us and delivers us by bearing it on Himself. I want that to sink in with you. He, he, he frees us and delivers us by bearing on Himself what you and I earned. And He's called us to help free one another by bearing one another's burden for them. And one of the most powerful ways we do that is by forgiving a sin that's been done against us. Because when somebody sinned against you, you feel like you hold the cards and you rightfully rightfully want that person to pay for what they did. But you hold the power to set them free from that guilt by bearing that on yourself, by forgiving them and not having them suffer because of what they did to you. And that's exactly what God's done for you and me. So God's method of setting us free is to bear it on Himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin, 
So the one who came to take it on himself was innocent. For he made him who knew no sin, that's the one we're talking about this morning, to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise the Lord. You out there this morning? Okay, all right. Maybe you're just processing this. That's good. Praise the Lord. All right. So, He came first of all to rescue us from the effects of this curse, this destruction that was released on mankind in Genesis in the fall in the garden. When they surrendered to Satan, the authority of this earth, and that released a curse upon the earth. The second reason we're going to talk about this morning is He came to bring us to Himself, to become a child of God. See, He didn't... When I got saved, I thought what I got saved for was so I didn't have to go to hell. And that's good. If that's all it were, I, that's... I'm great. Right. And, and I didn't have to go to hell and, and to go to heaven. And I think a lot of Christians... That's what they believe. And that's wonderful. But God's plan was so much bigger than that. God's heart is so much bigger than that. God was trying to restore in us what He originally created in the garden, in this close, intimate relationship that He had with this man and woman that He created. And that He did with them what He did with nothing else He created. He breathed in them His own life. He didn't do that to the to the cats and the dogs. Sorry about those of you who have cats and dogs. Sorry, Molly. He didn't breathe His life into you. He didn't breathe His life into anything else in creation. He breathed His own life into that man and then that woman. And the Bible implies that He would walk with them in the cool of the garden and they could talk with Him face to face. And all of that was lost when they, t- when they gave into the temptation and decided to take their own lives into their own hands and to be their own God. And you and I were all born into that same tendency. So God's heart's desire, the passion of God's heart, there was a movie a number of years ago called The Passion of Christ. And the cross is often called the passion. Christ, why? Because it's God's passion for something. What is that passion for? It's for you and me to be, come to, to be drawn to Him, to come to Him. John chapter 1, we'll complete, go on with this story that we started. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. We've had a little interlude here with John the Baptist. He came unto, the verse before this says, He came unto His own, and His own did not receive Him. But, that's the Jews, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right or the ability to become children of God. That's why He came. Think about this. He's God's Son, dwelling in heaven in all His glory with His Father. And He came to become a baby, to live among us, grow up among us, and then at that appointed time, to be beaten beyond recognition, to be nailed to a cross, to bear the sins of those who who accused Him, those who rejected Him, so that we could become, He could share His home with us, that He could share His sonship with us. And we have trouble sharing with one another. 
This is God's heart. God's heart wanted you so badly. Not just in heaven, because that's kind of what we think, but he wanted you for himself. He wanted you for himself. The father in the story of the prodigal son, which represents God the father, when the son came back with his little speech rehearsed, when he figured out, you know what? My father's hired servants have it better than I do because I'm living in a pigsty. I'm, 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 I'm yearning after what the pigs eat. He finally came to his senses. Some of us need to come to our senses. I guess living in a pigsty will get in your senses. And he remembered what it was like at his father's house. So he got up the courage to say, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell my father that, that, that you know, I'm sorry I've sinned against you and against God. Would you please take me back as a hired servant? And that's what he came back to do. And that's what so many Christians think they've come to God to do. I'm coming as your hired servant to do what you want me to do because I'm your servant and you're my master. But the father didn't even listen to the, I love that story. He didn't even listen to the speech. While the son's rattling on with the speech, the father's giving instructions to get his own robe and clothe his son with his robe to get his ring, which represented the authority of the father. Totally unheard of in that culture. Totally unheard of in that culture that a father would, 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 would demean himself for a son that had rejected the father, taken his share of his inheritance, and squandered it. But the father covers him with his robe. Why? What does he say? When the elder son says, why did you do this? He says, my son that was lost has been found. And Christ came to this earth as that little baby and then eventually went to that cross so God could find you and bring you to himself as his son and as his daughter. The heart and the passion of God for you, how far he was willing to go for you. I remember early on in my walk as a Christian saying to God, you know, because I had trouble believing all this because of of how I was raised and some things I went through. I, I believed it here, I had trouble believing it in my heart. So one day I'd say, I heard somebody say, well, if you were the only person that Jesus needed to come and die for, he would have died for you. And I said, nah, I have a problem with that one. There's so many people out there. I can understand redeeming mankind, but me, just, just me, if everybody else was holy, some of you are looking like you are there. And, um, and, 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 and it's, so I said, all right, I need a scripture for that. And immediately the Lord reminded me of the parable of the one sheep that the shepherd went to find. He left the 99 that were safe and he went after the one. The other evidence of that is I guarantee you that for each one of us, if we were to have the time for you to share your personal testimony, you would find a different story for each one of us because God knew exactly how to reach you personally. And it doesn't end once he personally reached you it begins once he's personally reached you. And Jesus came to, to open the door so that you and I... This is why back in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we wish for you be, it says, He who became sin, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become... Now listen to this progression. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
So Jesus came as a baby to grow up as a man so that he could be one of us and bear our sins for us and pay the price. But he did that. That was the first step. The payment of our sin is what now allowed him to give us his righteousness. I want you to follow this. He died on that cross. He paid the penalty for your sin so that now the penalty was paid and now he could legally give you his righteousness. Sometime you ought to meditate on 2 Corinthians 5.21, those last few words. He who knew no sin became sin that we might, he, we might become, listen to this, we might become, we might become, we might, we might become, not have, we might become, you ready for this? The righteousness of God. He didn't just make you righteous. He made you righteous with His righteousness. The father of the prodigal son took his robe and clothed his dirty son with his robe. God has clothed you in Christ with his robe of righteousness because by being in Christ, you have whatever Christ is. You can't have it separate from Christ. So Christ doesn't give you his righteousness. His right Now go be your, your righteousness is not separate from him. You can't have His righteousness separate from Him. This is why the devil tries to separate you from Christ and get you out on your own. It's, it's the righteousness of God. The last two verses are, three, are in Christ Jesus. So this progression is very important. He who knew no sin became your sin. Paid for your sin. Took your sin so that He could legally give you His righteousness. But it's given to you because you're in Christ Jesus. Let me kind of make it a little more plain to us. Hot summer day. You're over at a friend's house, they have a swimming pool. So I got to get in that pool. And you go and you jump in that pool. I can guarantee you something you're going to get when you jump in that pool. You're going to get wet. Why? Because the nature of that water is it's wet. And because you're in the water, you have whatever that water has. You have its wetness, you have its buoyancy, and if you didn't close your mouth, you swallowed some of it. <laughs> because you're in Christ... You are whatever He is. Just as when we were married over 55 years ago, whatever we were got joined together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I got more of the good from her and she got more of the ugly from me. But we were joined together. We became one. We became one. This is why He came. John 14. So as I said a few minutes ago, He called us not as slaves, but as sons. The Bible calls us, in Romans, joint heirs. 
joint heirs. Hebrews, uh, Ephesians says, you're God's inheritance. You're His inheritance. We have an inheritance, but you're His inheritance. Okay, go ahead. Now Jesus is preparing His disciples for this change. It's interesting. I, there's a progression of the relationship that Jesus had with His disciples as He went along. It started with just Peter and Andrew, come follow me. And then James and John came along too, you follow me. And he met Levi, and he called him out of the tax collector's place and renamed him Matthew, you follow me. So when he, when he came to them personally, as when he came to you, his call was to follow him. And so we're Christ followers. But somewhere along the line, he increased what he was requiring of this. He changed the relationship. He increased the relationship. He said, if you're going to be my disciple and follow me, you have to deny yourself and then you've got to take up your cross because that's what I'm taking up is my cross. So we're Christ followers. Now we're supposed to give our life over to Him. So He's Lord. But now He's with His disciples and He's preparing them for a dramatic change in His relationship with them. And the change is this. He's leaving. He's been telling them all along, but they don't listen, just like we don't listen. That's encouraging to me because they were right with him. And he's explaining, our relationship's going to change. I'm leaving. But I'm sending to you another helper. In fact, it's to your advantage that I leave, which was going to be hard for them to grasp. I mean, Jesus, you're right here. I can touch you. If I got a question, I just come and ask you. I know what it's like to be in your presence because I can smell you. I can smell your, your odor. I can smell your presence. And you're leaving and saying that's better? He says, yes, because the God will send the comforter, which literally means one called alongside. I will send a comforter to replace me. And you know him. How do we know him? Because he's been with you in me. And now he's going to be in you. He's going to go from being with you to in you. And then he says this to them in John chapter 15. No, 14. Just say, A little while longer in the world you will see me no more, but, but you will see me, then you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. Go on. For in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. How is Jesus going to be in them? Through the Holy Spirit that He was now going to send to live in them. John 15. And here's the new relationship. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Stay there. So now what he's calling them to is a relationship that's not just following, not just laying your life down, it's now abiding in him and he abiding in us. That's the closest you can possibly get. He, he, he couldn't stand just being with you. He has to be in you. 
He has to be down in a part of you that goes beyond your mind. Talks about the peace that passes understanding. Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. You can't, you can't understand them with your mind, but down in your spirit, you can experience them because He's in you and He's alive. And I'm getting way ahead of myself <laughs> because I'm excited. I am the vine, you are the branches. He's using that example. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me or apart from me, apart from me, you can't do very much. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. In fact, apart from him, you're dead. Neither the branch nor the vine, listen carefully, Neither the branch, us, nor the vine, Christ, can produce fruit unless we abide in Him. He can't produce fruit on His own. He can only produce fruit through branches that are abiding in Him. And we strain so hard sometimes to produce the fruit. I've never seen a tree or a bush where I go by and the branches at springtime are straining. If I can just get this flower out of oh no, they have their focus is abiding in the tree, abiding in the trunk. As long as it abides in the trunk and the trunk is healthy, it will produce fruit through the branch. You abide in him, he will produce fruit through you, and he will get the glory. John 17. These are some of the if these verses weren't in the Bible, I would not dare ever even say them. John said, Jesus saying, I now pray for these alone. He's prayed for himself and for the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Keep going. That they, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Look at that. That they, that they may all be one. That, that prayer still hasn't been answered yet. That we may be one. This is the last prayer Jesus prayed before he went to the cross for, uh, for them, was that we be one. The, most, the biggest thing on his heart was that we would be one. As you, Father, and are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe, that the world may believe that you sent me. Keep going. And the glory which you gave to me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Just as the Father and the Son are one, He and us are one. The glory, the in I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfect, complete in one, that the world may know that you have sent me, and look at this, and that you have loved, and that have loved, and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus is saying, God loves you as much as He loves Him. All right, the third thing, is to display His mercy and grace. Oh my goodness. Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ. That's what we've seen. Next verse. To the intent, this is what God's intent was, that the manifold or many-sided wisdom of God may be known by or through the church To whom? Who's the audience? The principalities and powers in heavenly places. 
God is using the church to show something to the spirit realm, to the principalities and powers. He's using the church to demonstrate something to the spirit realm out there. What is it? Go to Ephesians 1. According to the eternal purpose, which he pursed himself in Christ Jesus. Now go to Ephesians uh, 2. And he just said, he said, And you he made alive, who were dead in our trespasses and sins. He just said before, we're all born, we're all born with a nature for, of sin. We're sons of disobedience. You don't have to train a child to be disobedient. You have to train a child to be obedient. And you and I need to be trained to be obedient. We have to be trained to be disobedient. You're, you're not, we don't have to have a disobedience class here. Because so many of you are so obedient, we've got to train you to sin a little bit. No, it's nature, in our nature. He made, and you He made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Keep going. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. That's who we were. And am, among whom you also once conducted yourself in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. It gets better now. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Keep going. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've used this before. I used to think years ago that, that, that when I was saved, that, that I, was, I read these, I was seated in heavenly places, and I had, you know, you have Christ sitting next to the Father here, and then you've got, I don't know, Paul or Peter here, and then you've got, you know, the disciples here, and then you've got the martyrs here, and somewhere way, way, probably in New Hampshire, is John, this John. But I'm with him. It doesn't say seated together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, does it? It says seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God sees you seated with Christ, in Christ, right next to Him. That's your position today. And that's what Jesus came to purchase for you. And God wants to show this, so keep going. That in the ages to come, this is what the God wants to show off, in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not yourself. It is the day for God. So God's plan is this. God wants to take a mess like us that in, in heaven, they, they see perfect holiness to show off not God's power, but God's compassion and mercy and love. God considers you a trophy of His grace. Not your accomplishments. It's not going to present Him a trophy of our accomplishments and God gives you a... Okay, you, there's rewards, but it's different. You are a trophy of His grace, of His mercy, of His kindness. Okay, one last thing to cover here. 
how he came. Go back to John 1. How did he come? So the one that came is the Word of God. Why did he come? He came to redeem us, to deliver us, to save us. He came to bring us to himself, restore that relationship, and to put us in the place we've just seen. How did he come? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, God took on human flesh. That's the most astounding thing in all of existence. The God, a holy, awesome God who can do whatever He wants. He's all-powerful. And He chose to become one of us. Not just to become one of us. He could have come and just arrived, arrived in Jerusalem in all His glory and displayed who He was and showed off who He was and proved, I am the God of all creation. And He is coming back that way. But if He did that, it would have left all of us alone. So He humbled Himself. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we held the glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Now go to Philippians chapter 2. This is how he did it. Who being in the form of God, that's what we've been talking about today, did not regard equality with God, keep going, Robert, to be quite quite with God. Literally what it says there, he did not regard his position with God something to be held on to. But he made himself of no reputation. That literally says he emptied himself He emptied himself of all of his privileges. He emptied himself of his glory, which is why on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was so unusual because that glory was back on him again for a brief period of time. In John chapter 17, he asked the Father to restore to him the glory that he had before he came. So he set that aside. I mean, when, when, when little Jesus grew up, in his hometown in Nazareth, he wasn't performing miracles. I mean, he was, he was perfect. He didn't sin. That must have been annoying to his brothers, but he didn't sin. But there was nothing about him, in fact, the Bible says, there was nothing about him that was seemly, that was, that was special until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of all his privileges, of all his rights. He emptied himself of all his, 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 his glory. And then he took on the form of a bondservant to serve us. The Creator came to serve the creation that was rejecting him, that was, that was under a curse that each one of us earned. And he came, became one of us to rescue us He became a servant, coming in the likeness of men. Keep going. And being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself further and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And one translation says, a criminal's death. That's That's what we celebrate. That's what this Christmas story from God's side is. This little baby that we have an image of here, this little baby that they came to revere, and this little baby that we celebrate from God's side, this is who he is. This is why he came. 
and this is how he came. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the story. For those of you who remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, because there's more to this Christmas story. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this Christmas season and continue to walk it out and, and have to deal with the, the, the responsibilities that we have and, and the pressures that can, we can feel to, to get the right presence and to please people, and, and sometimes this is tense times with family, getting family together that where there may be issues, and it can be a difficult time. Help us to stay focused on what you did when you sent your son and why you sent him so that we can be among those that John talked about who received him and he gave them the right, the ability to become sons of God, born not of the flesh nor the will of man, but born of God. And those of us that are born of God help in this season for the story that we've heard this morning to give greater depth a global death an eternal an eternal point of view of what you were about on that Christmas day thank you for loving us this much it's beyond beyond what our minds can grasp but the spirit you put in us can grasp these things that we may then take this love take what you've done in us and bring it out to this world that's living in such darkness. And for the grace to do that, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.